0: Wanessa is conversation. It's authentically building community and connections. Grab a cup and let's chat. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tea Time and Wanessa. Today, we have the amazing, the illustrious Nadine El Ruby. I'll let her introduce herself in a second. I'm Sana. I'm Anfal. I'm Abrar. I'm Razan. And Nadine,
1: go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi guys, thank you so, so, so much for having me here. It's such an honor. You guys are all incredible and I love what you do. So this is like a huge blessing to be talking with you guys today. Um, Hello to whoever's watching. My name is Nadine. I'm from Sudan and I'm living in Sudan right now. And I enjoy making music.
0: That's other stuff, that's what I do. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm the
0: worst Great at introducing myself, by the way, like I cannot, I cannot That was pretty good, I'm, I, that's not my thing either, but that was pretty good Okay, well, today uh, I'm personally really excited to have this conversation with you um, We're honored to have you, and there's so much to talk about um, I don't even know where to start particularly, but I guess we should start at the beginning, right? So tell us about how you got into this music field, how you found your voice um, that's a good question so
1: i've I've always been into singing and and music in general I've always loved it um played instruments when I was young, mostly the piano um and it was one of those things like it's actually funny i I always remember starting or being interested in writing much later than I actually was. I was looking through some old diaries yesterday i have like over 10 it's a crazy collection <laughs> since like 2010 and I used to be like writing songs which I have no recollection of so I think I have like wanted to do this longer than I even remember mm-hmm. um but how how it actually started and when I started getting really serious about it was two years ago like around um around December-ish 2018 um And I just started, you know, writing and talking to people who were making music. You know, the first people who really inspired me to start were Young Justice. Like, there was Mahdi, there was his brother, Jaydi, and Omar Majid, who wasn't, I don't think, part of Young Justice then. But they were the ones who were, like, you know, kind of encouraging me to. And then um, I met A.K.A. Keys in Birmingham. And he was the one who, like, really drove home that, like, yo, like, you should start taking this seriously. So since then, it's just kind of been, like, my one thing like kind of um tunnel vision thing that I'm into I mean I'm into like a bunch of other different things as well but it's like that's my overall
0: okay that's interesting that you said you know you have 10 journals I personally journal like crazy but I've switched from writing to online so if somebody ever hacked my email my life would be destroyed because (laughs) my diary (laughs) I have another question for you Nadine you're talking about you know writing and all of that um, a lot of people don't talk about the fear and the anxiety that comes into first putting your own type of like unique work out there for the world to judge essentially. Yeah. What did that feel like you know when you finally decided, okay, I'm gonna just do this dude
1: it was it was so scary like i'm I think I'm very lucky like I had a lot of support around me and a lot of encouragement. But it was scary for sure, dude. I still get scared. Like I still have this anxious feeling when I show like proof or keys or somebody a song and like, you know, waiting or ease, like anybody from the circle waiting to hear their feedback on it, you know, putting it out and waiting to see what people think. And it's like, I really believe in not allowing other people to validate your work or your process. But at the end of the day, it's like I make music for myself, but also ultimately to be enjoyed. So if someone... Isn't if if the group of people who usually enjoy it don't enjoy it, then I'm kind of just like, oh, okay, so. But it's like for me, I'm realizing it's more of a trial and error thing right now. But there is so much anxiety involved, and like, you know, I think it's really important to talk about because I feel I I really hate the misconception of like things coming easy to people, you know, because then you start to feel. By yourself like oh but this is like really hard for me to do I struggle a lot with this I'm like always doubting myself am I am I doing something wrong am I not cut out for this and it's like no bro like and <laughs> everybody is like freaking out in their heads about what they're doing you know so but it's like you just it's just a hurdle to get over and it becomes easier each time to be fair. For me I, I grew up in America but I feel like that doesn't have much to do with it again. I, I also went to school in Sudan um, you know, and I pretty much actually grew up in Sudan the way I define growing up. Um, so that's that part. I did live in America. You I from- have to say where though? What
0: state? What state? Virginia. Virginia. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to, to know.
2: <laughs> and it's funny, Know what it is. <laughs> when you, when we were talking about this in our, in our like pre-brief, all of us were so shocked that we all are from Virginia. Yet that's we safe. did not meet until randomly on the internet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you never know. I feel like, dude, I feel like maybe we could have, you know, there could have been, Link.
3: someone knows, knows
1: someone, I don't know.
3: So how was it for you, like, being a 10-year-old going from living in the West to then moving back to Sudan and having mm-hmm. to, like, kind of get used to that life?
1: It was, that's a really good question because I initially, I was just excited to get on a plane I hadn't traveled with my family in so long. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, plane ride, like, and I'm, like, obsessed with plane food for some weird reason. So that was, <laughs> I love it, guys. It's the best. But uh, I was just, I was really excited about the whole experience. And then we got there, and it was just, like, dust, dust, more dust, more dust. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, this is where I'm from. This is where I live now. And I don't think I really, like, understood until i was kind of like but why can't we go to the mall and where's mcdonald's you know what i mean just these like really like immature childlike understandings of what life should be like and what it should look like and i think it was certain elements of that that kind of i'm ashamed to say put me off like pretty quickly from sudan from the whole experience and then when it started being like oh arabic lessons and you know you can't do this because you can't dress like this because it's inappropriate or, and so it was a lot of those like restrictions that I felt on, on my freedom that I was just kind of, I, that I just associated immediately with Sudan, even though it's like, it's not the country's fault. You know, there's so many things that go into this. So growing up, my relationship with Sudan after America wasn't the best. It was only until very recently, like since two or three years ago that I really started being like fully, fully proud To be from this country the way it is now, even with all its problems and issues, I think there's so much richness and culture, and um, so much like just history and the people who come from here who I really appreciate. So that's changed a lot.
2: So like the journey to to adulthood is is hard enough, right? Um, How was it navigating, um, figuring out who you are and what you're passionate about and your identity? like, through that, like, young adulthood, young adulthood time in Sudan, now that you were faced with all of these restrictions that you weren't used to? Mm. Um, I think, like, I'm still
1: trying to figure out, like, who I am and what I'm into and and what I and how I want to do stuff. But even, like, growing up, I, I actually think, alhamdulillah, like, I was really lucky I was very, very privileged to be able to go to a school where I had the res- any resource possible available to me to discover what I was into and what I liked to do. And so, um, you know, being exposed to theater, being able to have piano classes, being, you know, having talent shows or whatever that I could sing at. Like, I always knew that my thing was art and that was my primary thing. Um, you know, we had a lot of writing opportunities. There was a type of writing competition. So I was was personally very privileged to, despite the restrictions on my social life or whatever, I was going to a school that kind of encouraged those things.
0: I love that. I love that those things, you know, those are the things that I think people don't really talk about, but are there and do make... um, Like Sudan, I think, is something we love art and we love music, but there's always a stigma of people who want to do that, like for a living, right? Who want to pursue this uh, as, their, as their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about like, you know, what your parents, how your parents react and respond to now that you're, you came back from uni, right? You have a master's in creative writing, is that correct? Yes, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so now you're back and now you're like, you know what, I want to sing and do music. I'm joining the circle and this is it.
1: Dude, my parents are so done with me. They're done, <laughs> they gave up, bro. I, there's, I came to them like almost every year with something new. Like first it was like, so I'm gonna be a fashion designer. And they are like, okay. And then it was like, I wanna study theater. And they were like, no. <laughs> I was like, okay, but can I do creative writing? And they're like, okay. I was like, can I do film? Okay, I guess. And it's like, okay, now I'm going to be like, you know, singer, <laughs> songwriter, it's a music thing. And they're like, what is wrong with you? Like, choose one thing, be stable, make money, leave us alone. But <laughs> that was the initial <laughs> response. Um, and I think even initially, they kind of were like, okay, and they didn't really take it seriously. And then, you know, studio to like, 3, 5am, going to shows, traveling for shows. And my mom is like, hold on, you you know, you can't. Do this for a living, right? And I'm like, no, I can. I will. Hopefully, one day. So it's, she hasn't she's like, she's waiting for me to realize that it's not gonna work out and like, you know, do the nine to five thing, which is cool. And if I found something I, I am doing that technically right now. And you know, if you find something you're interested in and it works and if that's your main hustle, your side hustle, whatever, that's cool. Mm-hmm. For me, I can I could never have that be. It's just like it's not in my it's just I can't. It's not part of who I am I can't I can't I love routine but I can't do that so it really is a music thing so they're supportive of it I think to an extent as, so, as like as soon as it starts impeding on my life or making money then it's just kind of like but yeah
4: right we can all relate to that yeah or sure. abroad a broad orange to them, for sure exactly. it's like they're exactly. used yeah. to just us having structure yeah but we're like exactly through a generation We want to be able Mm. to try different things. Do do you think that that's something that's going to be consistent in your life? You talked about going through those different phases. Do you feel like that's a constant that you're going to have different interests and kind of like move between, but it's all going to be in the art scene and expression.
1: Totally, totally. That's like, and pointing that because that really is it. Like it's, I don't think I could ever just stick to one thing. Every For me, art, like you said, is expression. You know what I mean? And then to an extent, it also becomes a platform to be able to talk about certain things that I feel like if you didn't have that platform or you didn't have that means of expression, it wouldn't be as accessible to people or reach as many ears or eyes, you know. So that's really my thing. That's, that's why I try to do what I do.
3: I feel like the more, the more women we talk to and the, and the more that they share their experiences, it's like, it really hones in on the fact that we're multifaceted, right? Like doing one thing isn't enough for us. It's not fulfilling. Like we, we all, oh, so many of us have sides to ourselves that are like super artistic. And with that comes so many different things. And then we have like the lifestyle portion and like figuring out finances and things like that. So I think their generation really expects like, you know, do A to get to B yeah, that's and that's right. it. Whereas mm-hmm. in for us, it's like to get to A, you can take 25 right. different routes, do whatever you want right. to do and you will be fine. You but know, I think we're also comfortable with failure
4: more than that. Yes. They had a lot more at risk, you know, like Ouch. all of our parents have taken huge risks by, you know, getting us to where we are right now, whether mm-hmm. immigrating or coming back to Sudan is even a risk in, in its own ways. So I think we are just more comfortable with the fear of taking that risk and that
1: mm-hmm. risk
4: of failing is we're comfortable with it. Exactly. More do. than they are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good analysis of that. For sure.
2: I have a, I, I have a question about the parents thing. So I feel like for some, um, like living in the West and some of our Western listeners, it's it's sometimes odd to hear that the level of influence that like our parents have on, on our lives, right? Being like from Africa being Muslim, being whatever. Um, We have a lot of kind of familial um, things that we put on our shoulders. How do you balance that? How do you balance that? Like having your parents um, like insights and opinions and such, but also trying to pave your own path. Yeah, I mean, legit, like, and,
1: you know, I don't, there's so much to unpack there because with some of the things that my parents have said to me, it's like, then it starts to get into the implicit sexism in the culture. You know, they'll say something like, listen, once you get married, you're not our problem anymore, then do whatever you want. Uh Like, so my ownership gets transferred from you guys to the man I marry. Is that what you're saying? You know what I mean? Like I become an autonomous, autonomous, but then autonomous attached to somebody else still, you know? So that's something that I'm kind of like, Always gets to me when they say stuff like that, which they don't say anymore. I think because I've just kind of like, and for me especially, with the whole parents thing, I've always been very rebellious, and I've always been. I'm the oldest, right? So I've always been of the opinion that if you wear them down long enough, at some point <laughs> they just give up. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> it works. It's, it's, <laughs> it doesn't it's work. working. <laughs> <laughs> it works. So that's why every time, you know. And and it's so. I. It's also it. I have a lot of guilt sometimes, you know what I mean? Because I do see people who are like, their parents were, they respect it so much. And it's like, people legit like, oh, I can't do this because my parents would kind of be like, and I'm, I'm the worst influence. I'm like, bro, just do it. Don't get off it, fine. You know, which is like, I I kind of feel sad that I don't have that same like, rep, like reverence for their opinion and their feelings. But what takes away that guilt is really knowing like, this is my life. And ultimately there's going to come a day where my entire life will be affected by having either taken path A or path B, path A being my path. Right. So it's like, am I, and you know, one day they're not necessarily going to be able to actually have an opinion or even, you know, God forbid, even be there. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. if I build my entire life on what they want, how much resentment am I going to carry? What kind of trauma will I pass on to my kids to force them to do the mm, same? You know what yep. I mean? These are things that I think about. So it's right. like, I have made myself fully comfortable with making certain decisions. Mm-hmm. Even if on the surface level, it makes them unhappy. I truly mm. believe that every decision that I make, the serious ones with my career, with how you know I treat my life and, and just view things will ultimately lead to good which I can then give back to them in some way, you know? And it's also about, it's like a lifelong mission to change their perspective on what it means to be a woman, what it means to be successful, what it means to be happy. And, you know, everything I do is, is whatever sacrifice
0: it requires. If it's changing their mind a little bit, then it's worth it. Do you have these conversations with them? Do you talk to them the way, and say these things that you're saying to us? Yeah, I spoke to my mom the other day um about
1: work-life balance and the idea of like success and happiness and work ethic and i told her very blunt because she because like the job that i'm in right now i'm not like maybe the most motivated or the most active in it but like i kind of just do the bare minimum just to get along i really hope my boss doesn't see this um <laughs> <laughs> But, um, and that really upsets her because mashallah, she's the kind of person she's been in the same job for over 10 years, I think almost 15. She works very, very hard. She does more than she is expected to do, um, more th- and does what people ask her, even if it's not on her job. She's like one of those people who has crazy good work ethic. And for me, I have crazy good work ethic and, and shit that I like doing. But when it comes to like things that I, I have to do that I'm not necessarily into, if I'm getting the job done, I'm getting the job done. But like, I'm just I'm just not going to subscribe to a culture of, you know, you must, you know, do this and and your integrity and all these things and I'm like, no, like I I have integrity and I have, you know, work ethic and discipline when it comes to so many other areas of my life and I'm not going to allow my character or discipline to be defined by the fact that I'm not like working all hours of the day on the job that I'm getting paid for. You know what I mean? So I don't know if that answers your question, but I do talk to her about like this is not happiness, this is not success. She believes that you know you have to do some things sometimes, even if it's not what you want to do, and I agree to an extent. But I think people take that a little too far sometimes.
2: So I sometimes think that like the parents need to control um, comes from them continually wanting to protect us, right? It's it's their fear of us doing something that isn't typical, and then. Facing obstacles that they might not be able to help us with. Exactly. And it's like, yeah. And yeah. it's like, I, I understand that, that at mm-hmm. some point you also have to, like, as you said, the choices you make right now will impact the rest of your life. And so you can't do something based on their fear. And it's mm-hmm. like, I, I something I, I appreciate is, is, is like, your characteristics right now and how strong you are and, and how passionate you are about the choices you're making in your life it's something that they've instilled in you right mm-hmm. they, they have like raised you in a way and gave you certain values that they now need to just like trust and and mm-hmm. and know that you they, they've given you the tools absolutely and you know that i thank you for bringing that up because
1: definitely don't get me wrong like my parents i love and respect them so much of course. i'm grateful so yeah. you know everything they've given me they give me privilege like a platform resources they've trusted me they've believed in me they've supported me so do we have fights here and there about what I do and what I want to do in the future yes are they is it out of love and protection yes you know what i mean i don't hold it against them there's no resentment and it's because i still pursue what i want to do that there is no resentment because it's like i know you care for me don't worry i care about me too you know yeah. what i mean i'm going to make sure that i'm okay i'm going to make sure that i come out of this the way you would want me to, but in my own way, with my own methods, you know, so there is a lot of love and respect there and a lot of gratitude. And, um, you know, it's, it's, they've
0: taught me so much of what I know. So, yeah. A lot of people don't, um, don't understand the, the nuances of being a Sudani woman. <laughs> and there's so much that really goes into it. And I I love speaking to Sudanese women who are 100% unapologetic and want to show up as their full selves. This is something that I think we really need to encourage amongst each other and for the future generations, because we, I don't think we had to make that space. Like nobody, Uh, nobody really wants to let us show up as ourselves and be opinionated and pursue our passions. We have to show up and be like, well too bad this is kind of the way that it's gonna work I think for a long time I was like waiting for someone to give me permission a little bit but that wasn't coming like it, no way no. okay I really want to know about like your first time um performing okay as as the circle so now you're the only female in the circle and um you're starting to do shows Talk about your first show like What, how did you feel? What happened? Where was it?
1: First show with the circle? Yes. Okay. So that was the SDN conference in Sudan, December, 2019. And, um, oh my gosh, (laughs) no, not even, sorry. That was, that was the first, that was the first full circle show. We were missing YK, who was then part of the circle. He isn't anymore. Um, so, yeah, I'll say that was the first circle show when we were all together. And it was, oh, my gosh, it was such an experience. It was so beautiful. You guys, performing to, like, your own people in your country is, like, just another level of, it's just another level of joy, you know? And it was at the Friendship Hall, which is, like, you know, politically huge in Stan. Omar um, Bashir used to go there. I don't know what he used to do there. saying it's never never did, <laughs> I guess chilling. But to be able to perform, you know, after the revolution happened, feeling a lot more, a lot more open, a lot more free. Like, you know, not feeling that restriction of is this going to get keshed? Are we going to get arrested? Which is, which has happened before. Like, I went to a cafe once, and, and this was like a couple of years ago, maybe two and a half, three years ago or something. Um, and they had like a little open mic night and, you know, everyone's chilling, listening to music. There's a girl singing and suddenly, you know, secret service and ISS come in and they shut the whole thing down, put everyone on trucks, arrested the girl, arrested the guitarist. And it's just like, so to be able to perform without the fear of something like that happening is like another level to see how much people were enjoying it. Even if they didn't know the lyrics, even if they didn't know who we are, you know, just people enjoying music together and having fun. It was, it was great. It was so beautiful.
2: Can we pause at how wild that is? <laughs> Get arrested and having like the uh, place crawling with, with like whatever the secret well, the law is. was
4: broken. I don't understand. Or expression
2: of art. That's so crazy. Yeah. That like, was the reality, bro. Yeah. How, how did you how did you feel in that moment? Was that the first like the first time that happened? how did you feel? Uh, the first like the
1: arresting thing, the kasha. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! I caused a scene. <laughs> I caused a scene. Oh my gosh they dragged a bunch of girls onto this truck a bit. I was like, there's no, I was like, are you kidding me? There's no way I'm getting on that truck, bro. And to be honest, I think I was being a bit crazy. I don't even know if they understood me, but I just kept being like, I have an American passport. You can't." <laughs> <laughs> and I refuse. I think like I held the whole thing up for like 30 minutes, just not getting on the truck. And then guys being around me, like trying to convince me. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like you should be talking to them too. But I, I guess it's not as easy for them like you know how you, the, the ghost houses and it was just, there was no law so it's like easy it's like trying to ask a black man in the United States to argue with the police like you just you can't ask him to do that because you don't know how that's going to end up you know yeah so um so yeah so in the end I had to get on with the last shred of dignity I had and <laughs> <laughs> oh my god let <laughs> me just picture and, all this right now it was so bad it was so bad dude and um and I was like wearing like a tight t-shirt thankfully I had like a looser shirt over it but I had had it unbuttoned. and then I was like starting to button it up and then this one secret service guy was looking at me, and he was like no leave it open leave it open why why are you butting it up now and oh my god it was just mind your damn business yeah exactly <laughs> You're making me
0: angry. The, my, like blood like so been, angry. my blood pressure is <laughs> going up as you're sharing the story. I'm ready to fight right <laughs> now. I'm literally gonna like, fight somebody. <laughs> so it's now funny. I understand why your parents would be on you <laughs> because <laughs> if that happened to my child, I am raising hell.
2: Yeah.
0: And you're never leaving the house. Like <laughs> that's that's my first instinct is to be protective because you know, especially within Sudan, you really don't know what happens after an arrest. There's no rules at all. A, yeah. Thankfully, we never made it to the police station. It was
1: I like, we didn't even way. make it to the end of the street. I, a couple of phone calls were made, and they stopped the truck, let us off. And um, it was an unfortunate experience, to say the least. I feel bad for the girl who was singing, because she actually did get taken to the station. Oh. as well as a few other people. So it's just like stuff like that makes it all the more
2: important to do music and to do shows in Sudan.
3: Yeah,
2: How is it to like use that privilege card in, in situations in Sudan?
1: Um, at the time, it, like, it felt like this was the right thing to do and I felt like a boss. And then afterwards, looking back, I'm like, that's shitty. That's shitty that that even has to happen. It's shitty that, you know that, I don't know, looking back, I'm like, I wonder how it felt to be one of the women on the truck and not have that card to pull, you know what I mean? Or how it feels to be like one of the guys standing around knowing that like, they don't have an embassy or passport to protect them. So that kind of like made me feel bad afterwards. But at the same time, it's like, we lived in a regime in a country where it was like, they put us in a position where you either have that privilege or you don't. And you're screwed either way, but you're less screwed if you have the privilege. You know what I mean? Um, But I don't even know if it registered with them because they were speaking Arabic. I was speaking English. I don't, and the guys around me were trying to convey, translate, but I don't think they made it clear they didn't care. And I got put on the truck anyway, so I don't think it worked, but yeah.
2: And it's so crazy that like in Sudan, Th- there is different value based on, like, your nationality. Like, it's, like, rather than everyone being treated as a human and with certain types of dignity, if you say you're a British or you're American, then it's, like, oh, okay. And it's, yes. it's, it's really, it's really sad. But satisfying.
0: that's on purpose, though. They've yeah. created that. They've created that to, to be divisive. And yeah. for us to, you know, turn against each other, you know what I mean? And, like, exploit each other in some ways. Like, it's, yeah. it's something that... I mean, we-
4: did you ever feel the reverse of that, of like, you know, around people that have lived their whole life in Sudan, only have just that passport nationality? Um, did you feel kind of put outside of a certain circle because you were American to them? You spoke English and...
1: Yeah, definitely. I constantly feel alienated from being Sudanese by a lot of people. That's like, that's just a standard thing. And, um, you know, I always I always thought it was because of my complexion and my English and not in my accent when I speak Arabic and not very well at that Um, but and I would speak out on it like not speak out as in like not in the sense of reverse racism because that doesn't exist and my complexion has been privileged so I can't even complain about that side of things but it's like I thought that would be one of the reasons why like oh you don't even look Sudanese like are you even from here kind of thing so I would speak out on like, you know, just because I don't speak Arabic, just because I don't dress a certain way, just because I don't look a certain way doesn't mean I'm not Sudanese, like that's my identity. And, you know, just trying to call out for a more um, inclusive perspective on what Sudanese is and what it looks like. And I would get messages from people who, you know, are dark skinned and face the same issue because they've lived outside their whole lives or because their Arabic isn't great. You know what I mean? So people are getting alienated from their identity for different reasons. And um, I think it's something we all face in some way or another. Like, do you guys have that when you come back? Are you guys like and Baga kind of
2: thing?
4: Nasambrika,
2: yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah.
2: Always. It's as though, um, like, be, being like a third culture kid, right? It's, it's yeah. as though you. Like, I, I definitely don't fit in in America, right? There's so much that just isn't isn't a fit. And then in yep. Sudan, when, like, well, here when I'm in America, I, like, for me, yearning for home means yearning for Sudan because it's like, I want to be around my family. I want to be around people that understand me. But then mm-hmm. even when I go there, sometimes there's still this, like, lacking there's still this feeling and like perceptions from others. Well, it's like, you're not really Sudanese. You don't actually understand what, what actually happens. You're just here to have a good time, do this and do that. And then you're going to leave. You don't understand our context. And it's, it's then it's, um it's a little unsettling to know that it's like, if this isn't home and this isn't home, then where is home? And then you kind of have to redefine what home is to you.
1: That's so cool that you say that. I think for me, like, this is always going to be home like it's it's come to a point where it's like almost in defiance like no this is my home and whatever perception is is not going to take that away from me you know what i mean like this is this is this is not even my home this is our home you have to redefine your perception on what your culture is, what your nationality is what your country is Okay, I'm like we we like you don't have to change anything Mm -hmm. like this is your home. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of power we have to like take back. And you guys doing something like this is Mm -hmm. taking that power back. I have to be honest, like when when you guys asked me to be a part of this, it was like a dream come true to be involved in a Sudanese women's group conversation platform as a Sudanese woman. That's you guys are redefining what that means. So,
2: yeah. yeah, I actually love that. We have to. We have to defiantly demand it home. Have to demand yeah. it for yeah. ourselves. When they're not
4: that. going to give it to us, we are always going to feel other no matter where we are. And that's just the plight of, you know, where we you know, the privilege that we carry and then the lack of in certain areas too. But I love what you said about you have to create that space and and demand it and ask for it for yourself because you're not going to be given that. It is yeah. going to remain us them sometimes. It, it yeah. those lines are always going to exist. We're not going to expect them to go away, but we can make room between those lines and say like, you know what, I'm going to be an example and more people will start joining that. So like you are in yourself, an example of that, not fitting into either or.
1: I mean, thank you. I like, I, it's definitely something that I carry with me very deeply. Like I always make it a point, like I am a Sudanese woman. I'm a Sudanese artist. And um, there was this one platform that asked if they could uh, have write me down as Sudanese Egyptian. And I said, yes, because I am part Egyptian. And that's not a part of me that I'm ashamed of either. And I go to Egypt every summer. My my grandmother is Egyptian. So I feel close to that. So it didn't feel wrong. But I feel like if somebody asked me again, I would say, well, actually, I really feel more Sudanese. So you can say that I'm part Egyptian, but I prefer to be identified as Sudanese just because like, I want to drive that home so badly. Like, there was somebody, I, I had posted like the blue, um, square blue for Sudan thing just in memoriam of the martyrs who passed during the revolution. And someone comments underneath like, are you Sudanese? And maybe I just read too much into it, but it's like for me to make like, you know, an emotional thing about a country that I cry for and, and, and people who I cry for because they lost their lives fighting for our rights mm-hmm. and to question where I'm from and if I'm from Sudan in that context just felt like such an attack to me. As it often does. So it's like, it makes me all the more determined to be like, not like you, you have to redefine what that means.
4: But I think every time you do get asked, it's an opportunity to give someone else that voice too, that confidence Mm -hmm. to feel like they can also claim being Sudanese as much as they want if they Mm -hmm. don't fit into the stereotypes that people Mm -hmm. expect of them. Like you're reinforcing that every time.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Thank you for saying that. That's true. I'm going to start looking at it that way, maybe then I won't get so mad.
0: No, you have. It doesn't
4: make
0: it any better, but yeah. Yeah, you have a right to be bad. That's like somebody constantly telling us. Well, technically, you're more American in the way that we are dressed or the way that we speak Mm. or whatever. So you're not really Sudan Like you can't really Sudan. I think it's equivalent. I wish somebody would say that to
3: my face. I wish they would. You you got the wrong one. It's just scary. (laughs) you got the wrong one
0: yeah uh-huh. it's rude it's absolutely rude and you, you just don't do that
4: uh-huh. uh, I'm
0: about to defend
4: yeah. Nadine on the next IG live she does like, she stood in these don't even ask her <laughs> don't even
2: <it>. honestly <laughs> with everything going on right now with um with like the Black Lives Matter movement and, and all the conversations we are having about what it means to be black and such um, I'm more and more coming to realize black women we have to just we have to fight for our identities we have to fight for a seat at a table we have to fight we have to fight for everything how do we stay sane as we're constantly fighting for who we are I feel like
4: <laughs> you're so what you're saying is that like it seems like we're always out for the consumption of other people yeah. how feminine do we need to be how loud and opinionated can we really be yeah. how can we expect equal you know, treatment and anything like it's constantly like we're having to do 90% and people will meet us there 10%. Like it's never, when are we ever going to get met halfway to being who we are?
0: This is exactly the conversation that we're having in the beginning as well, right? It's that we don't need to wait for somebody to validate us and tell us this is how a black woman should look like. This is how we need to act. It's not about them. It's about us. And I think it's about us showing up as our true selves, and that's enough, right? right? And everybody, every identity has nuances. We don't have this conversation about white women or Arab women. They, you know, like, I feel like it's something that as Black women, we're constantly trying to, to sort out in our lives. But I really think it's just showing up as ourselves, and it's right. just being who we are and doing what we want to do. And I don't have to ask for permission. Right. You don't have to like it. It is what it is.
3: Yeah, I'm yeah, And I was saying like, how do you stay sane? For me, it's these conversations, talking to black women that understand what I am going through, who I do not have to like give explicit context to, right? It's that same point of like talking to Nadine about like being Sudanese, us just understanding. It's the same about being black. Like, I don't need to tell you my whole story and exactly what it was it's like, we get it. We're on that same page. We're on those same front lines, day to day, side by side. Like we're the only ones who can really get it without like the extraness of like having to explain ourselves constantly or trying to validate who we are or validate what we're going through to others. So that's what it is for me. Talking to black women who understand where I'm at right now is the thing keeping me sane.
0: I think it's being surrounded by strong black voices as well. For me, I found my voice and my confidence in learning from black women. Mostly it was reading and listening to them and interviews and these types of things, whether it was Sudanese women who were on the front lines of the revolution and watching them just take ownership of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen anything like that. I really have never seen anything like that in Sudan. And, you know, having the the Western idea of what it is to be a black woman, whether it's reading books like Asada, we were just talking about that, but I really was able to find who I was in that. And I found myself in these books and in these stories because there's so many of the same issues that we have to deal with. So I don't know, it, it brought me comfort feeling like, okay, people have gone through this. They understand what it's like. They made it. And this is how they became empowered. Through the issues and through what society threw like threw at them, like that's
1: that's amazing. Like this is why representation is so 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 important. It's crazy, okay. and it's not even just on a mass media scale. Obviously, that's the most ideal and most important. But even stuff like this, you know what I mean? Like I really, I was on a live yesterday with Full of Heart Foundation, and um, we we're talking about you know the movement, Black Lives Matter movement in America and, and how Sudan is involved, not innocent, all these things. And I like I can understand why some people would feel less inclined to talk about it, not necessarily because they don't care, but because they feel like their voice doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And it's like, bro, it does not matter how many followers you have, how many people you know, you know, what kind of platform you have, what you do for a living. If you talk to one person, one person, that makes a difference. Like it really, 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 really does. And that's also why like, you know, earlier we talked about the feeling of doubt and anxiety when it comes to art and putting yourself out there. It's also like, bro, if one person streams my song, then I'm happy. Maybe obviously not as happy as like I would be if, if, you know what I mean? But it's like, I remind myself of that constantly. So it's like, even people who you know, want to use their platform or want to use their artistic creativity or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, whatever faculty you have as a human being that makes you happy, that you use to express yourself, use that always because you don't, you never know what you're representing and who needs that representation from you,
0: you know? Um, Nadine, I want to touch on um, privileges because that's something that you are very vocal about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something that I really appreciate. So, I want you to kind of talk about, and this is something we we discussed in our previous meeting and our little debrief, but how your privileges affected your entry into the art scene and how <clears throat> you feel like that affects things that you do even now. Oh, yeah. Bro, my whole life is smothered in privilege.
1: Like, alhamdulillah, you know what I mean? Like, from everything, from, you know, the social class that I'm in having a family who was my mom was able to put us in kicks because she worked there and she got you know two children free for example you know what I mean being going to a school that then I was able to travel have the resources to play piano there was a studio in the school you know what I mean the friends that were around me were very supportive like when you think about privilege as like a system it really is the building blocks that define your entire life. You know what I mean? Once you're in that space, it's it's kind of a snowball effect of like you just more and more happens, more doors just kind of like magically open. So for me, one of the things, one of the biggest things that I think helped me in the Sudanese scene with that starting out was the fact that my dad, you know, has Capital radio station. I was like, when it comes to performing easy, just like that. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, there was a show that Flipped Her was headlining and I like pretty much opened for him, which is like, I don't, I don't know if I would have gotten that opportunity had I not been Nadine El-Rubi, Ruby's daughter. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I, me as like a Sudanese woman, you know, with a quite conservative mother, would I be able to be at the studio until 5am with a bunch of guys if that was not my father's station. And she knew that he's there. He's, he knows what's going on. He knows all those people. You know what I mean? Um, There's definitely privilege that comes with my complexion that I will, might not even ever be like aware of. It might not ever even be so explicit, but I can't say that it's, it doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. People who come to me and talk about, you know, Tell me, there was someone who came to me recently and was like, oh, can you tell us about um, hip hop in Sudan? And it's like, okay, there's about five guys who have been doing this much longer than me. You know, even women probably who've been doing this much longer than me who don't necessarily have that kind of reach. Who would be better suited to talk to you about that? Are you coming to me because I look Arab and an Arab looking girl from Sudan who raps is like that's cool for your agenda you know what I mean so there's like everything is everything and I really believe everything in this world is political everything is soaked in politics and identity politics and you know financial politics whatever that is like just economics you know what I mean mm-hmm. and that affects everything we do it affects the choices that we make and it affects the opportunities that we have so I I feel like I have to be vocal about that because it's like there's two sides to it on the on the one hand i think it's important to be vocal about it because i don't want to ever appear that i'm taking things for granted you know what i mean or that i just think i'm so talented and i'm so great that all these opportunities just came to me like no there's a bunch of things factors involved that i may have absolutely nothing to do with you know what i mean on the flip side of that i also care to speak about privilege and opportunities and and things because I think it also shows people that you still have to go after whatever it is that you want to do because, and to not compare yourself to somebody else, you know, like anybody who might be looking at me and be like, oh, but even though I'm nowhere yet, like nowhere, nowhere, nowhere close to where I want to be for anyone to think that they can't do it. Like anybody bro can do what I'm doing, literally, anybody in the world doesn't matter where you're from or what you're doing there's I saw a picture the other day of um a young boy who was he had his earphones plugged in to his like his mic thing plugged into his phone and he had the phone tied to the top of a bunk bed and it was like hanging so it was like oh I saw can, that. yeah right and it's like you can you can do anything there's a will there's a way like my mom loves telling me the story about like when I used to not study she loved telling me about um uh, when she was younger, she would see like a young guy or a girl, I'm not sure, you know, which studying under the streetlight because they didn't have light at home, you know? That's like, isn't that like a standard life story <laughs> we <though? all> <laughs> yeah, that yeah. <laughs> we've all <Yeah>. heard it? <laughs> exactly. So it's like, it's important to acknowledge privilege, to not take it for granted, but also on the flip side, to know that you don't even need that privilege
0: to do what you want to do. I feel it. Like. So, sorry. Yeah, but you can get It's good to be transparent. That's really the thing, right? Um, It's interesting, as you're sharing your story, I'm thinking about a white guy and how little they talk about their privilege. They just take, take, take. And they actually hype themselves up in certain positions. They don't want to claim the privileges that got them to where they are. And um, I think it's just important to be transparent in that. So people actually know, you know, if someone is looking up to you and saying, Nadine did this, 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 and they kind of put you in a pedestal, and they're not giving context to your story, it really changes things, right? And, and comparison is the thief of all joy. A lot of people will look and be like, well, I, you know, how, do I, how can I get there? And it's like, listen, everybody has a path. This was my path, Right. Okay, I I'm interested to get into your creative side a little bit. Like when you sit down and you're like, okay, let's ri- let me write a song. What what does that look like? I mean, I'm so intrigued by artists and how they actually art. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, but I mean, you're like, I'm I'm curious to know like how DJing even comes about for you because. Like, if I can just quickly, flip, I'll, I'll answer, but just to quickly flip that, because it's like, mashallah, like you, you guys are all creative in like what you do. So like, I'm also curious to know about like your process with DJing and, and you guys' process with how this came about, like not to hijack the talk, but
0: <laughs> for me, I think DJing is something that. I'm doing for fun, right? Like I'm not really thinking about it in terms of a career or anything necessarily, but it's something that I feel like is so fun to me. I've always loved music and I'm the type of person that's like, you really have to set the vibe right at a function. Like, you know what I mean? I'm looking for diversity in the music. I'm looking for Afro beats. I'm looking for rap, but my body has to be moving. I have to I have to feel it. You have to have the vibe. So... <laughs> I'm basically curating when I'm DJing. I don't know if this is bad or good, but I'm curating my perfect party. So yeah, that's, that's exactly like
1: you just described how I try to make music. Like I'm, you know, I sit there and I'm really trying to make something that I would enjoy listening to, you know what I mean? Or something that's really expressing how I feel or my perspectives on stuff. So it's hard it's hard. It's not easy. It's, yeah. It makes me cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just silly fears, you know, it's, and I, I'm trying to be very careful about how I even say things when I'm describing my process or how I feel when writing music, because I don't want to create this self-fulfilling prophecy of like, I think words have a lot of power and I'm trying to um, just really instill in myself that I have the power to create something beautiful and I have the ability to make something that I enjoy and that hopefully, inshallah, other people will enjoy. And so even when I'm talking about, you know, the struggles I have with with writing, I try to not focus on it too much if that makes sense because then it almost reinforces that fear of like, oh, but what if this sucks? What if this is like cheesy, whatever, whatever. So like, now I just try to say like, okay, Um, there are some fears that hold me back from writing, like whether it sounds okay, whether it's relevant, you know, technically, is this a good structure? Is it catchy enough? Will people listen to this in their car? Is it able to be played in the background? So those are things in the back of my mind constantly, but I'm trying to really channel like, okay, what feels good? Like how how can I technically make this, you know, an expression, but also fit with what people like to listen to. So it's like, but I'm trying to make it a more natural, organic thing.
3: Mm. Yeah, I feel like you've, you've so far created such beautiful um, music that's kind of um, tapped into a lot of emotions that a lot of people are feeling. So I don't know. One thing that I'd say is for you is like really hone in on that. Make sure that you take the time. And I, I tell this to my friends all the time. Like we neglect sometimes looking at our achievements, right? We neglect taking the time to be like, I've done this and I'm grateful for the journey and the path that it's taking me to get to this. Like you said, we're always pushing. We're not where we want to be and things like that. But if you don't appreciate where you are now, when you get to where you want to be, it's not going to be enough so I tell them look at look at their faces because I tell both of them like this all the time and it on, like take the moment to be like I did this look at the people that I'm reaching look at the effect it's having on them look at my achievements because it matters what you're doing matters what what you're doing like is impacting people positively it's giving them a voice towards that they can't speak themselves like it's so important and we love what you've done. too driven. Yeah.
1: I'm so honored to
3: hear that. You have no
1: idea how much that means to me. Like, that's that's wild. It's, you know, that makes me want to cry for real because it it's, it, it's shit is hard and it can be discouraging. And it's like, what you're saying is so important to me because that's that's all I want. I just like want to make people, whoever feel happy. It would be a blessing if whoever felt represented empowered, um, motivated through whatever I make. So to hear that from you is a blessing and I, am deeply grateful, but I'm, I just want to say I am so, so, so grateful and I have so much respect for you guys and Roseanne, I know she had to go so much respect for you guys and what you do and the passion and professionalism with which you do it is so, so incredible and so commendable. I really see this growing to be a big thing. And it already is big just in the essence of what it is. And you as individuals are incredible, mashallah, beautiful, strong, wonderful people. Okay, so
3: are we gonna cry? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it just means so much to me. I like I you guys have my endless, endless support and whatever you do. And I'm so excited to see where it goes.
2: And Nadine, you have our endless support too. Like, honestly, this conversation has been so beautiful and just being able to connect with you. And uh, like, you, your mashallah such a light. Like, your energy is so beautiful. And I, I can't wait to see all the amazing things you do.
0: Thank you, guys. Thank you. I'm speechless. I think sometimes Nadine, you know, one of the first things <laughs> when we were talking, um, I know we had a mix-up with her schedule. And the way she apologized to me and like, even the way that you speak, it's just so much, you say everything from the heart and it's like exactly how you feel. And there's no sense. I think sometimes people hold back a little bit out of fear of being too much or like maybe it's pride or maybe they're shy, but you just, you say it all. And I, I really love that. And thank you so much for your kind words.